glad that you're here tonight again. I'm Jack, one of the pastors here, and, and uh, you know, as we were thinking through, singing through that song, I always want this, we pray for this, to be a place of peace and a place where people can find rest, maybe in the busyness of life, in the, the seasons of life, the pace of your life, that you would sense coming here on a Sunday night would just kind of catch your breath and uh, pause a little bit. I want this place to be a place of peace for you, and I want this place to be a place where we instill in one another uh, hearts of generosity. And I just want to say thanks again for all of you who partner with us financially to help do everything that we do. Just your generous hearts, you know, seeing the food drive that's coming in and realizing this week I got to talk to Mary Ellen, who's the office manager at John B. Wright, and just talk with her and dropped off some food from last week. And she said, I don't know what we'd do without your church. And uh, as a pastor, that's, I don't know if there's anything better I could ever have being said by someone who doesn't come here, who doesn't, um, I'm not sure where she's at in her faith journey, but I just, it's the church being the church outside of the walls that we gather. We gather to celebrate and to worship, and it's awesome, but we want to be the church in our community. So I just want to say thank you again for your generosity and your hearts. It speaks volumes. We have a value around here. We said generosity wins. In a culture that's skeptical about Christianity and skeptical about religion, I think as we give, uh, and, and kind of living out that core characteristic of God. God gives because he loves, and we want to be those kind of people, then it begins to speak volumes to the people around our city and now around the globe, as we'll report back a little bit more uh, next week about Ecuador and, and the partnership we've got going there. So just really, really good things. Really proud of you as a church. So thanks for being on this journey with us, and grateful uh, to have you with us. So um, I want you to think of your favorite sport, or if you don't like sports, you're one of those people, uh, favorite board game, okay? Favorite board game that you play with friends, things like that. So you got 10 seconds, ready, go. Favorite sport, I want you to think about it. You can tell your neighbor if you want. Um, favorite sport, favorite board game, you get it? Five, four, three, two, one, you got it. Now, instantly, I want you to think, how do you keep score? How do you keep score in that sport, or how do you keep score in that game? Do you have an idea in your mind? How do you keep score with that? The reality is, every game you play, there's a score, right? Even jumping rope. You're trying to jump the rope more than the person next to you. There's a score that's kept. I got the privilege of going with my dad, one of the things I love to do, to play golf. And we got to go to Pebble Beach, which is like the mecca of golf, okay? It's just a crazy thing. So we got to go there, and here's the deal. We kept score. And I can literally sit here and tell you afterwards if you want to test me, we could Hole number one, oh, double bogey. That was really sad. Just had a great drive then. It was the second shot that really messed me up. And I can literally go through every shot on that course because that was a dream, of like a bucket list type of thing. And we got to go and we kept score because score mattered a little bit. Now, with that, I want you to ask yourself this question. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever found yourself keeping score? Like, not score in like, if you're a better driver than the person in front of you. We all know that you're a better driver, okay? <laughs> the person in front of you is always slower than you are. You are a better driver, okay? But have you ever found yourself, or have you ever noticed people who keep score relationally? They won't have a scorecard that you'll see hanging out of their purse or out of their back pocket, 
but you'll know it by the cold shoulder or the silence that they give you. Have you ever found that in your own self? Where you're in the, the grocery aisle and you're going down and that person turns the corner and you very quickly retreat? You ever found yourself keeping score relationally? My hunch is you probably have. In fact, the challenge that we have before us tonight in these one another's is tonight this idea, this notion, this principle that we see played out in the New Testament, we see emphasized by Jesus, and Paul is gonna speak into this tonight, and Jesus, this idea of forgive one another. Now, the one another's we've been looking at uh, for the last couple of weeks, Kimberly started off with love one another, uh, and Brandon did encourage one another. We saw love one another is about just kind of placing other people's needs above your own and getting off your own radar screen and just paying attention. Encourage one another is the idea of, hey, I'm taking thought of you, and I want to come alongside you and help you become all that Christ wants you to be, and nothing short of that. And that takes proximity. It takes reality of, of relational connection. It's not just something you send in a note. That's good and it's necessary and that's an awesome thing. You should do that. But it's more than just that. It's more than just an encouraging word. It's more than just saying, hey, I love you. Three simple words. We need the profoundness that goes with the activity behind that to love one another. And we saw that these one another's in scripture, there are about 20 plus of those uh, in the scriptures in the New Testament, either where Jesus is saying it or the New Testament writers, and, and often it's referred to as the one another's of scripture. And you'll always see it where it has a verb followed by one another. There's something to do one another. This idea of, of pray for one another, which we'll look at next week, and tonight it's this idea of forgive one another. There's an action oriented with this. And as a follower of Jesus, if you are here tonight, and you're like, hey, I'm all in. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I'm, I'm following him. I've hitched my wagon to his train, and here's where we're going. If that's you, these are non-negotiables. These are not some things that you go, well, you know, if I get around to it, I'll forgive one another. If I get around to it, I'll encourage one another. These are the way we are to now live as people who have said, I'm aligning my life with Jesus. Now, you might be here and you might be curious about Jesus, and that's cool. I think that's awesome that you're here, and I think it's cool that you're investing in your spiritual journey. And you may be at a place where you're saying, hey, I like Jesus, I like the words that he has to say, I like the way that in which he lived, I'm just not sure if I'm ready to kind of turn over leadership of my life to him. I, I think I'm doing okay in that. And, and if that's you, that's okay to be there. In fact, we wanna be a church for people who aren't part of the, the convinced where you can actually kind of belong here before you get to that place of believing. But know at the core of our heart, we are about inviting people into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And we really do think it makes a difference and it changes everything for you. Now, you can be around Jesus and be curious about him, and that's cool, and you should do that. But there may come a moment where this challenge of inviting uh, you to live life around Jesus becomes something where you have to say yes to him. And that's gonna be different for everybody. But in this idea of the one another's, tonight we're gonna look at this scripture passage that says, hey, you are to forgive one another. Now, how many of you think forgiveness is a difficult thing? You can raise your hand here. It's a difficult thing. It's a challenge. It's not easy. Some things are easy to forgive, right? Someone spills coffee on you and it's an accident or orange juice or something. They're like, hey, I'm sorry. You can be like, oh, you're a jerk. Um, okay, I forgive you, right? You can be like that. Someone steals your car. 
that's a little more challenging, right? Someone borrows something from you and never returns it, that's a little more challenging, right? Someone runs over your foot, that's a little more challenging. We ran over our kid's foot. I think he still forgives us. Um, but don't call anybody. Uh, here's the deal. So Colossians kind of puts this verse, this challenge, this invitation before us. Here's what it says in Colossians chapter 3. Now, the very first verse of Colossians chapter 3 is this, this title, the heading of this chapter is this idea that we are living this new life. Now, this is for believers, for people who have aligned their life with Jesus. And it goes on, the very first verse says this, since you have been raised to this new life in Christ, since it's no longer your life that you just live, you've been raised to this new life hidden in Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Then he's gonna rattle through a bunch of things of here's how it should impact how you now live. Here's how it should impact your living. He goes on, we'll skip down to verse 12. Here's what it says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Stop there. Here's the key to understanding and releasing the power of God's forgiveness in your heart to flow through you, is you have to understand that you are a chosen person. For many people, they have never felt picked, chosen. And this is the Apostle Paul reminding us, you are a chosen person. You're not an accident. God didn't, like, happened to love your neighbor more than you and said, you're in, and well, I guess since you're standing next to him, you're in too. Um, this is God picked you for his kickball game, okay? You are chosen by him. You are dearly loved. You are made holy, not because of your actions or your reactions, but simply because of what Jesus has done for you. You are hidden in a new life, he says, as dearly loved. Now, here's what he says. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Okay, those are kind of like the fruit of the Spirit. Those are things to be active in your life. And then he goes on. Bear with each other, and then the next four words here, and forgive one another. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on the virtue of love that binds them all together. In the New Living Translation, it says this, make allowances for each other's faults. How many of you have faults? Yeah, that's every hand. For those of you not playing along, your neighbor will point out your faults to you after the service. <laughs> we all have faults. So make allowances for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive one another. Forgiveness is tough. See, the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no record of when it's been wronged. But bitterness, <laughs> bitterness keeps a detailed ledger and a detailed journal, doesn't it? It's when you're walking down the grocery aisle and it comes around and the person's there and all of a sudden, in your heart of hearts, you remember the day, the minute, the expression on their face. And if you're at that place where you're wanting to retreat out of the aisle, then friend, bitterness and the roots of it are digging deeper into your heart. That's the truth. And that is a difficult place to be. I've been there. I know it. And it maybe comes from hurt of someone else. And to choose the path of forgiveness versus the path of bitterness is a difficult choice. It's a challenge. See, maybe understanding what forgiveness 
is and what Jesus is going to get to here, what Paul's kind of camping on is understand maybe what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not this idea of, of saying that that person or what that person did to you or what you did that, was, that it was right. It's not agreeing that it was right. It's saying that it happened. It's the reality of what unfolded. Forgiveness is not saying or giving permission for that person to do it again or that you would have to be some kind of spiritual doormat where people can just walk all over you. That's not forgiveness. That's not saying, hey, I'm just gonna go into this pattern and repeatedly do this. You can have appropriate relational boundaries, and we need those at times, and we need those with certain people, don't we? And it's okay to have that. Forgiveness is saying, I'm not gonna keep you on the hook for what you said or for what you did. I'm gonna let God deal with that. In the New Testament, it says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That it's not this idea that I need to spin my wheels or my energy trying to think about retribution or try to figure out a way to get revenge. And that's where bitterness goes. That's why it keeps a detailed ledger because it's always trying to, to figure out how you can kind of undercut this other person that hurt you or wounded you. And forgiveness is saying, look, I, I'm not gonna keep you on that hook myself. I'm gonna choose to let that go. To quote a famous song. It's choosing to say, I'm gonna let go of that offense. I'm gonna let the sacrifice of what Jesus did pay for that offense, because he had to die for that. And you know what? He had to die for the things that I, I've done to offend other people. He had to die for that. And it's choosing to say, I'm gonna let a different path begin to chase me and take me to a place that's more free. And see, forgiveness is never free, but it is always free. Forgiveness is never free. There is a cost to it. But it is always free when you choose to live out of the flow of forgiveness. Lewis Smedes writes this. He says, when I genuinely forgive, I set a prisoner free and then discover that the prisoner I set free was me. See, unforgiveness is this idea of a prison that you close the cell and you're inside with the keys and you stay there instead of unlocking it and choosing to live a free life. Now, <laughs> okay, preacher dude, uh, that's really nice and that's fluffy, that's cool, um, but you don't understand what happened to me. Yeah, you're right, I don't. I've heard a lot of stories from a lot of people. I've got my own story, I know you've got your own. But what I'm discovering for myself is when I choose to forgive, I'm actually living in the flow of the best possible way to live life. Jesus says so. And as I do, I begin to experience more and more freedom. See, forgiveness is never free, but it is always freeing. And the truth is, as a forgiven person, forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people just forgive people. They learn to live life where I can make a choice. I could keep score or I can set it aside. And I can let God deal with things and I can have appropriate boundaries and healthy ways of living and I don't have to be a doormat for people to walk over but I can also choose to be free and not hold someone on a hook or hold it over someone. See, forgiveness is a path that you have to choose. 
And what the scriptures say over and over in the New Testament and what Jesus reiterates in his life and how he lived is that he wants a flow of forgiveness to be within the hearts of his people, period. Now, is that easy? No. Is that gonna be really challenging at times? Heck yeah, it really will be. But it will be for your good. And I think that's what Jesus is driving home. It's interesting, there's a conversation that happens with um, Jesus and Peter one day. Uh, it's in Matthew 18. In fact, you can go on your, in your Bible or on your phone. You can find it on the whole passages in there. I'll kind of describe it a little bit. Um, <laughs> where Peter comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Master, um, this idea of forgiving people, like how often should I forgive someone? Like if someone's like offended me and hurt me type thing, how, how much should I forgive? And then he says this famous line, like seven times. That's pretty good, Jesus. <sighs> seven. The rabbis only teach three. I doubled it and added one. Seven's like the perfect number. So like, how much should I forgive, Jesus? Like seven times? That's awesome. High five myself. And then he waits for Jesus' response. And Jesus responds in Matthew 18. Um, not seven times. But like 77 times. And then you've seen that Jet.com commercial? It's like Peter's brain just like, what? Have you ever wondered where Jesus got that number from? 77 times? I've wondered that. I mean, that's just not a number you pull out of the air. Where did he get that number from? The interesting thing is you go back to Genesis chapter 4, and you'll read about a guy named Lamech. Lamech is a descendant of Cain. Cain is the guy who committed the first murder in the Bible, right? Cain killed Abel. Then Cain is marked by God with a marking that we don't know fully what it is, but to say basically if you kill Cain, it's going to be kind of put back on you seven times what would happen to a normal person. It'll be back on you. And so throughout the years, Lamech comes along. He's born. He grows up. And then we know two things about Lamech. You can read it in Genesis chapter 4. One is he's kind of the first one who introduces uh, uh, having two wives. He has two wives. And we know that he gets hurt somehow by someone. We don't know exactly what happens. And then he has this little poem about how he got back at this person and took them out, basically killed them. And he says if, if Cain was avenged 70, uh, seven times, then Lamech will be avenged 77 times. And I wonder if Jesus is looking all the way back to early on in humanity, where it's saying, okay, 77 times, like this massive retribution that should be. And Jesus takes that number and he flips it upside down. Says, okay, you think about retribution to that extreme. I think about forgiveness to that extreme. So Peter, not seven times, 77 times. Like just a number that you can't even get your mind around. And then he goes on and he tells the story that begins to unfold in Matthew chapter 18. I'm just going to read through it uh, with us together. And then we'll kind of unpack a little bit as we go. So in Matthew 18, here's what happens, okay? So Peter comes to Jesus. He has this conversation. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And he says, look, therefore the kingdom of God, the way God works, the way things should work, 
Here's how it should be. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. As he began the settlement process of this, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Anyone know what our national debt is? It's over 18 trillion as of two days ago, okay? 10,000 bags of gold back then would have been like that. Like just a number no one can get their mind around, okay? That's how much he owes this king. He goes on to begin to settle this account. So he says, I'm not able to pay. The master ordered that he, his wife, and his children, all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay it all back. Now think of the national debt. Let's pretend that's your debt. No, it kind of sort of is. Um, could you literally pay all that back? The answer is no, right. <laughs> You, I don't care how many lifetimes you were given, no, okay? You could not pay that back. That's what he's saying. Be patient with me, I will pay it back, which there would be a snicker. There's no way possible for that to happen. At this, the servant fell. Be patient with me. The servant, uh, the master there took pity on him and he canceled the debt and he let him go. But then the servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver and coins, owed him 100 bucks, Okay? He grabbed him and began to choke him. Give me my hundred bucks, he's saying. You owe me. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. How about if you could pay a hundred back? In just a little bit, right? You could. You can figure it out. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They went and told their master what happened. The master called that servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled the national debt for you. This guy owed you a hundred bucks. What is the deal? Shouldn't you have had mercy, verse 33, this is the key. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? That's the question. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he would pay back all he owed, the 18 trillion. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Jesus. Wow. What a story, right? Like, think about that guy. Owes this incredible debt. Given this incredible mercy, your debt is canceled. And then he goes out. It's because his master's heart had pity on him and just gave him mercy. He didn't deserve it. He deserved to have to be paid, to pay it all back, right? He's just given this forgiveness of this debt. And it didn't change his heart a bit because he turns the corner and sees a buddy who owes him 100 bucks he chokes him, throws him in prison until he's paid. And Jesus is telling this story to prove something. Where is he going with this story? Answer in your own mind. Where is he going with this story? It's real simple. Paul said it. It's three words. Forgive one another. This flow of forgiveness is to be part of your regenerated heart as a follower of Jesus. That if forgiven people 
forgive people. It's just the reality of how it's supposed to work. What Jesus is saying and what the New Testament writers are saying through these one another's is this is the way you should live one to another. This is the way that the world will see that you're different. This is the way that the skeptical world that's watching would look at people and say, how do you do that? Well, it's not by willpower. It's by having your heart transformed. To be, I had this incredible debt before God. And he took mercy and pity on me and he canceled it. And I live with gratitude for that. Maybe the question for you to ask yourself is, how are you doing at growing a heart of gratitude in yourself? How are you doing at understanding all of what God has done for you and continues to do for you? Because I'm convinced people with a grateful heart have better traction at forgiveness. I'm convinced of that. That people who live with a gratitude of understanding all of what God has done for them and continues to do for them gets them to a place to say, I can let forgiveness flow through me. I can be a conduit of God's forgiveness and grace through me. Does that mean it's not going to be challenging? It's still going to be challenging. Does that mean it's not going to be hard? It's still going to be hard. But it's this idea at the end of the day, forgiven people forgive people. And if you find yourself sitting here tonight going, I'm a forgiven person. Jesus rescued me. I've been forgiven so much. Then friend, if you're struggling to forgive, then my question to you is why? You gotta do some self-reflection on that. And if you're struggling to forgive, then maybe you haven't quite opened up your heart enough to understand how much you've been forgiven. To understand how much mercy God has poured out upon you and upon where you're at in life, how much grace has been active within you. It's like Jesus is saying to Peter, (laughs) I want you to follow me, but without one of these. See, the world tells you keep one of these. Yeah, just, well, that person dinged me. I'm gonna chalk that up, I'll remember that. That person, I can't believe that look. Woo, that's too... um, I can't believe they forgot this about me. They're so self-absorbed. I can't believe that they don't notice how much I'm struggling. And Jesus, I think, is saying to Peter in this moment, through this story, through this teaching, is saying, "Uh, Peter, you can either follow the path of the scorecard or you can follow me, but you cannot follow both. So, which way is it gonna be? See, unless you forgive from your heart, does that mean you have to forget everything? No, God does that. I don't know how he does that. He's God, I'm not. But I think it is this idea, this principle of understanding and and practicing this habit of forgiveness that forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people who understand where they are, 
They just choose to forgive others. They, they let offenses go by the wayside. When they're offended or hurt or wounded, they may go talk to that person. See, the whole chapter of Matthew 18, Jesus is dealing with that. He's actually telling us how we now should live. When you have a conflict with someone, you go to that person. You don't go to your friends of 20 and have them tweet about it. Jesus said that, kind of. <laughs> you go to that person and you deal with it. And you choose both of you as followers of Jesus to forgive one another, to hear out one another, and to move forward together. Does that mean you have to be best buddies the rest of your life? No. It's okay not to be best buddies with everybody. But if unforgiveness is still taking root and bitterness is beginning to root into your heart, then friend, you have an issue with what Jesus is saying for you to live. And you gotta get that figured out. Not because a preacher said it, but because Jesus said it. He's saying, you wanna know the best possible way to live, Peter. You can keep score if you want to. You can follow the scorecard system. Or you can follow me. But you cannot do both. You have to choose. And I think Peter was wrecked that day. See, when this conversation happened, most scholars believe, is in between uh, Rosh Hashanah, the new year of the Jewish calendar, and the Day of Atonement, about 15, 16 days in there, where there's a moment where all Jewish people would have to try to find reconciliation, that if they had something in between someone else, they were to go to try to make it right, because you didn't want to show up on the Day of Atonement where God was going to forgive all your sins with a heart of anger towards someone else. You want to try to make it right, and I think that's why Peter's coming. Like, how often, this person's digging me, they've offended me, how often do I need to forgive? Seven times? Like, the rabbis only teach three. And Jesus is saying, no, you're asking the wrong question. This isn't a numbers game. This is about a heart transformation. Peter, I'm always about your heart, not your mind. Not trying to get things and to get the score right. I want to know that your heart is changing to be more like mine. So that Jesus would one day hang on a cross and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As his creation crucifies him. Think about that level of forgiveness. That's forgiveness on a whole other level, isn't it? than what you're being asked to do or what I'm being asked to do. And I think Jesus is saying to Peter, you can go and follow the way of the scorecard or you can follow me and choose my path. But you can't do both. See, forgiveness is never free. There is a cost to it. It will cost you. But you're the one who will benefit from paying the cost. You're the one who will be set free Forgiveness is never free, but it is always free. As you practice this, you make this a habit, you begin to live this out with a heart of gratitude. Jesus is saying, Peter, you don't want to keep score because you don't want me to keep score with you. See, if we just play the score game, Peter, you're going to lose, and I want you to win. So let's not play that game. So how do you deal with the hurts that come your way? Maybe I'll close with this. The only place I know, to take the deep wounds of life 
and the deep hurts that I know some of you have. Man, I wish it was different. I really do. But the only place I know to take that is you can either live a life of bitterness and carry it around with you, but it will get heavier year after year after year. Or you can choose to say, God, I want forgiveness to flow, and I'm gonna take this to the foot of the cross. Because I know in that moment, in that history, that moment in history, you dealt with my hurts. You dealt with the wounds that would come my way. You dealt with my dumb decisions that I made, and you dealt with the dumb decisions others did to me. And it's there at the foot of the cross where we can come to a crying Savior who understands pain, who understands loss, who understands rejection, and say, would you pour in the power for me to practice, forgive one another? So as we move toward a time of communion, here's what I'd love for you to experience tonight. It's for you to actually sit in your space, and don't be in a hurry, but just to take a moment and ask God, God, would you give me a little bit of understanding, maybe just expand the scope of my understanding of my heart a little bit, to how much I'm forgiven. For some of you, it'll be really easy because you're always beating yourself up. For others of you, you think you walk on water, and <laughs> we're here to tell you you don't. Um, and so it may be a little more challenging. But to legitimately sit in a space and say, God, would you just help me to understand like a clear vision of just how much brokenness you had to pay for? How much of my own selfishness, how much of my own pride, how much of my own sins, how much of my own um, hurts and wounds to others that you had to die for in my place? And as you understand that, then as you take communion, and as you take that bread, take that juice, and to remember, Jesus died for that. He paid a cost. Why? Because forgiveness is never free. But it is always free. And that's the beauty as you take that tonight, is that you get to live free. And as a person living in freedom, as a forgiven one, you are now called and invited to forgive one another and to let that flow through you. So Father, I pray that tonight, as we move toward a time of communion, as we move toward a time of just remembering, God, it's so easy in our culture to wanna keep score. It just is. It's so easy in our culture to want to let bitterness and the roots of it begin to dive deeper and to get um, a tighter grip on our heart. But Father, we wanna live as a forgiven people would you help us to see the depths of our forgiveness, the, the beauty that we are a chosen people who are dearly loved and we're made holy because of what your son did. Not because of our actions or reactions, but because of our decision to trust him and what he did, what he accomplished. That we are forgiven. That you paid the cost and that now we are set free and would you help us to become a people more and more, more this year than last, more next year than this year, to let the flow of forgiveness flow through us, that forgiven people forgive people, that we become a conduit, because as we live these one another's out, a watching world will take notice. It'll catch their attention. It'll capture their heart. 
to want to know how we do that. We love you, Jesus. We remember how much you paid for us that we might live now free in you. Would you guide us in these moments as we contemplate and reflect, as we worship you? Would you stir our hearts afresh?